Welcome again to Horrific Tales. Before we begin, can I just ask you to like and share these episodes? It help gain as much exposure as possible for artists and very kind of men their talents in the show. Feel free as well to like the our social media pages to keep up to date with future episodes. Now, we all know that Dan can be quite an inconvenience, particularly if you have unfinished business. In this tale, we explore such a phenomenon. Join us now as we venture into Thomas House by Steve Thompson. You know the old saying, there's no place like home. I used to believe in that. Hell, I lived it. Walking through my front door after a long work day was the best part of my day. My wife and hyper as all hell Boston Terrier greeting me as I enter. A smorgasbord of hugs and kisses. There's no greater feeling in the world than the love of an amazing woman and the unconditional love of the family dog. This is where I belong. This is where I want to spend the rest of my life. Home. That word itself always made me feel all tucked in and secure, comfy and cosy, warm and snug, and all those other ways you want to say it. That all changed the day I died. Now it's longing, loneliness and anger. Let me tell you, there's nothing worse, except maybe for dying, and having your spirit, soul, or whatever you call it, trapped forever in your own house. Stuck there, and watching your wife move on with her life, without you. I knew eventually this ticker of mine would stop. Well, ticking. I just hadn't counted on it happening this soon. Heart disease runs rabid in my father's side of the family. My father, and all his brothers and sisters. Fourteen of them all died before the age of sixty due to heart disease. One of his brothers was only twenty-one. I was 42. 40 fucking two years old. Now I am dead. I'm bound forever in this endless hell I used to call home. How I hate it so much now. The last thing I remember before I ended up trapped here was lying on the stretcher in the trauma room. Three nurses and two doctors buzzing around me and asking me questions. Buzz, buzz, buzz. From 1 to 10, what's your pain level? Buzz, buzz, buzz. Do you have shortness of breath or nausea? Buzz, buzz, buzz. Are you on any medications? Did you use or have you ever used cocaine? Buzz, buzz, buzz. The doctor rolled me onto my side and stuck her fingers up my ass. Felt like a whole damn hand if you ask me. I mean, what the fuck? My heart isn't even down there. Why in the hell would she even want to do an exam down there? They hooked me up to the heart monitor, the one with all those sticky electrodes that leave a gummy residue that takes a few days of scrubbing before it finally washes off. Not that it mattered to me anymore. Then they were sticking an IV in my arm and drawing blood to give me morphine to help with the pain. My heart must have stopped because quick as can be a nurse started giving me chest compressions. Another nurse started bagging me. This went on for about five minutes. I'm sure I heard a rib or two crack. Then the paddles came out, and they tried to shock my heart into beating again. Shock, compressions and bagging. Shock, compressions and bagging. And the nurses changed positions after each shock. I didn't feel any of this, but I could see and hear everything as my spirit, essence, or whatever you want to call it, left my body. 
the heavy breathing of the nurse doing the compressions, watching as the sweat dripped off her nose to land in my unresponsive form beneath her. One more zap? Nothing. The doctor placed her hand on the shoulders of the nurse doing the compressions and noted the time of death. I screamed at them not to stop because I could feel the tug back towards my body at every shock. I pleaded for them to keep going, that they could bring me back if they just kept trying. I had too much to live for. I don't want to die. I cried as the nurse pulled the sheet over my head. Please, please, please stop trying. My, my life is finally perfect. Please, please don't let it end like this. That was the last I saw and heard before all went black and silent. Then there was a light. I followed it. This small, shimmering beacon of promise. It was getting larger and brighter the closer I advanced. But it wasn't the everlasting light of paradise. If there even is such a thing. There were no angels to greet me and walk me through the party gates. I didn't get the touch of the hand of God. Nor the devils. But who else could have lured me into this hell but Satan himself? I flew through the portal of light and into my house. The living room, to be exact. I ducked so I wouldn't collide with the low-hanging cast-iron chandelier, the cursed thing that I am forever smashing my head on. But I wasn't quick enough. I braced myself for the pain that usually follows, but my head passed right through. This is when I realised that I was dead. I never believed in ghosts or spirits or any of the boogeyman under the bed crap. I believe now. I am living proof. Well, non-living proof to be more precise. At first I considered this to be a blessing. I'd be able to see my wife and dog again. Even though they can't see or hear me. At least I had that for a short time. But things turned sour faster than you could think. I could hear my Katie sobbing. And I floated down the hall to the bedroom. She was sitting up in bed. Her eyes and nose red from crying. An almost empty box of Kleenex on the nightstand. Crumpled tissue half filled with small garbage can beside the bed and just as much of it scattered on the floor. Olive cuddled with her head on Katie's shoulder, licking the endless streams of tears from her cheek, trying to comfort her grieving human as best as any good dog can. I'm right here, Katie, I said and reached out to touch her face, but my hand passed right through her. I'm so sorry that this happened. I wish you could know that I'm here with you, that you could feel some comfort in knowing that. I stood there and watched her cry herself to sleep. I love you. A strange tingling flowed through me. Like when your foot falls asleep and loses all feeling. That tingling, prickling, stomp your foot on the floor until it wakes up feeling. Only this circulated through my entire body. When it stopped, I was no longer in the bedroom with Katie. I was in the living room again. Only now it was filled with family and friends. On the coffee table was a silver urn, surrounded by flowers and sympathy cards. The inscription on the urn stated... Andrew Thomas, 1978 to 2020, loving husband and best friend, forever in our hearts. My best friend John was on the couch beside Katie. He held her hand in both of his. I'm so sorry for your loss, he said. If there's anything you need, anything at all, I'm here for you. All you have to do is ask. She looked at him, her face a mask of sorrow and exhaustion. Thank you, John. I know you're hurting and missing too. She said and stood up to make her way to the kitchen. John and I have been best friends since grade one. I love the guy, but he's a player. He hates to work and uses his Ryan Reynolds good looks to get women to take care of him. I didn't like the way he was looking at her as she walked away, like a predator sizing up its prey. I knew he always had a thing for her. 
but I also knew he would never act on it as long as I was still in the picture. But now I'm dead, and it's free range for John. The $500,000 life insurance policy would be all the incentive he needs. Don't you dare take advantage of her, you freeloading son of a bitch. He couldn't hear me, but that just made me angrier. Don't you dare. The cover on the urn popped off, and everyone near it jumped. Did I do that? I thought. Then the tingling started again. I was in the bedroom, and Katie was standing in front of the mirror, curling her hair. She was only wearing her panties, like she always did when she was doing her hair and makeup. My god, she was beautiful. I wanted so badly to wrap my arms around her again, to feel the warmth of her body against mine. I ached with the sadness of not being able to hold her. So, who is he? The voice coming from the speaker of her cell phone asked. Katie laughed. He's just a friend, Mom. I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. I want to see how things go first. Okay, honey. Don't forget to call me tomorrow. I'm just so happy that you're beginning to move on with your life. I'll let you go so you can finish getting ready for your date. I love you. I love you too, Mom. Talk to you tomorrow, Katie said and hung up. A date? I've only been dead, what, a day, two days? I went to the kitchen and looked at the calendar. It was showing July. No, that isn't right. It's only January. Where the hell did the last six months go? That's when I realised that time flows differently in the afterlife. Although it seems like I never leave, I feel myself phase in and out. That's what the tingling feeling is. My spirit leaving and then coming back. What's only a second or two for me could be a day, a week, a month or more to the living world. So, when that tingling starts, I know it's about to happen again. The first time was only about three days. Now that I figured out what was happening, my funeral was over and they were having a reception at the house. This time it was six months. But it's only been a few hours for me. I should have been happy that Katie was moving on with her life. I wasn't though. It infuriated me. Six months didn't seem like a long enough time to mourn. How could she be going out on a date so soon after my death? I don't want to be here. I don't want to have to see her with another man. Not here. Not in my house. I floated around the kitchen and the living room. I wanted... No, I needed to throw or break something to ease my anger. There was a knock at the front door. A triple rap-tap-tap that filled me with dread and hopelessness. It was the sound of Katie moving on without me. I flew to the door to see who this man might be. A hand passed through me. It was Katie reaching for the doorknob. She started to open the door when the tingling feeling engulfed me again. No! I screamed. I need to see who it is. But the sounds of my anguish went unheard in the confines of my own home. My tomb. I was back in the living room again. Only it was different now. All the furniture had changed. The couch, chair and coffee table were all new to me. The flat screen TV was larger and the window coverings were different. How long have I been gone this time? Did Katie move out and a new family move in? This confused and scared me. Although I didn't want to be here, I didn't want Katie not to be here. Then I saw the wedding picture on the mantel. Only it wasn't our wedding picture. It was Katie, but it was Katie and John. Next to the picture was a small wooden urn with a paw print and the name Olive written beneath it. Olive dead, Katie and John married. A white hot rage took over me. If I had blood, it would be boiling. I grabbed the wedding picture and threw it at the wall. It hit with a satisfying crash and exploded into pieces. I ripped the low-hanging chandelier from the ceiling and threw it at the TV. 
Another satisfying explosion. It was the rage. It gave me power to do these things. John came rushing down the hallway with a golf club in his hands. I picked up the vase from the coffee table and threw it at him. He ducked and it smashed against the wall behind him. I threw other things at him. He stared in disbelief. His objects started floating by themselves in the living room. He dropped the golf club and ran back to the bedroom when those objects flew at him, most hitting their mark. He got a little bloodied and bruised before he found safety behind the closed door. Call 911, I heard John yell. What's going on? What's happening? Katie asked. Oh my god, you're bleeding. Call 911 now, he screamed again. I took pleasure in hearing the panic in their voices. I felt betrayed by my wife and best friend. I wondered if something could be going on between the two of them before I died. That thought made my rage burn hotter, and I raised my foot and kicked in the door. There was a thud as the door smashed into them. It knocked John to the floor stunned, and sent Katie stumbling across the room. She lost her balance and fell. There was a loud, bone-breaking crunch when her head hit the top of the corner of the dresser. She collapsed to the floor, blood gushed from the deep open wound on her forehead. Dead. John tries to raise himself up to help Katie. This is all your fault, I said and wrapped my hands around his throat and began to squeeze. I didn't want to hurt Katie, just you. His eyes widened and he flailed, his arms trying to hit what he couldn't see. I squeezed harder. His feet hammered on the floor as his whole body started shaking. I kept the pressure on until he stopped moving. Then the tingling started. It's been two years since my last phase out, I think. I stopped counting the days because what does it matter to a ghost? Nothing. I don't know if it will happen again or not. It's not quite as bad or lonely here now. I get visitors all the time. Paranormal investigators from all over the world come to the Thomas House, the most active haunted house in Canada. I give them quite a show when I'm in the mood and try not to hurt them too much. Katie and John are here too sometimes, phasing in and out, but they won't come near me. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our latest horror tale. If you want to keep up to date with future episodes, then subscribe to our YouTube channel and like or follow our social media pages. You can also give a child support by visiting our merchandise store and picking up some of our items. Please also take a moment to support our contributing artists who very kindly lend their talents to the show. Check out the links in the description on how you can do this. Well, that just leaves me to say, until next time my friends, keep it creepy, keep it horrific. <laughs>